Creating videos doesn't have to be expensive and time-consuming. At QuickFrame by Mountain, you'll get all the creativity without any of the baggage. Their solution has facilitated more than 65,000 high-performing on-brand video ads designed for both audience specificity and rapid creative testing. Get matched with a diverse community of creators across the globe who have the skills to bring your big and small ideas to life. Big screen performance on every screen in the home? It's not too good to be true. It's just how they roll. Visit quickframe.com to learn more. today is Natalie Bastian. Natalie is the Global Chief Marketing Officer of a great company, one of the companies that's genuinely leading the way forward for our industry in a lot of spaces, including the rapidly evolving connected TV space, which we're going to talk about. So we are thrilled to have you here. A heartfelt welcome, Natalie, here on Great Minds. Thank you, Matt. Great to be here. Terrific. So Natalie, there's so many places to begin with you, but one where we share some history um, is beginning our careers way back when as an intern. And I'd love to go back to your days. It was really the heyday in many ways at Comedy Central and get some of your reflections going back quite some time ago, uh, but to those early days working as an intern, I know you focused on college press, but I find for me, those early experiences really helped shape me. And I'd love to get your reflections. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my time at Comedy Central was pivotal for me, not only in my career, but just in my life. I, I was um, able to do a essentially a study abroad program, but within the States for uh, with Marist College, which is a, a college in upstate New York. And so uh, I essentially moved here my junior year of college and uh, Comedy Central was my first pick on the list. And I was an intern in their PR and corporate communications department. And to your point, yes, it was the heyday of Comedy Central. I grew up loving everything stand-up. I grew up watching Seinfeld, watching any stand-up, George Carlin, um, which may be uh, questionable from a parental uh, <laughs> standpoint, but I just, I loved it. I love all entertainment, especially with stand-up. And so Comedy Central is my first choice. And when they chose me, I was through the, through the roof. Um, you know, it was an interesting time because the Daily Show was, was in its prime. And then the Colbert Report was just getting off. So a lot of my focus was pitching to college trade press about Colbert Report. And back then, and even now, it's all about tune-in and all about getting the the nightly ratings up and running. And so that was a big focus of mine. Um, in addition to that, part of the program was I was able to spend time with other departments uh, within Comedy Central, within Viacom. And so I learned a bit more about on the business side, both in marketing um, and also in advertising as well, which ultimately led me to deciding to A, move back to New York because I absolutely fell in love with the city, B, get into media in any way, shape, or form, and C, expand beyond communications and really dig more into marketing because I found from what I saw that marketing really connected. Um, com communications was a part of marketing, um, but marketing as a whole really connected to the bottom line of businesses, and I felt like I could make a greater impact if I lean more there. 
Fantastic. And I know you have Midwest roots. And I find there's a certain, uh, I, I want to say groundedness, but that's not really a word, but a, a grounded type of person and a gritty and a moxie to folks from the Midwest. Um, do you think I'm onto something there or am, am I off? No, I, I think you're right on point. Grit is definitely a uh, descriptor that I've used and been uh, described as uh, my my entire life. And I think part of it is, you know, Midwestern roots are awfully tied to the family and uh, that you grew up with. And for me, it's really no different. I came from a really small town. My high school graduating class was 26 people um, total <laughs> in my class. And so part of that, um, I attribute to the ability to multitask early on in my life and needed to play every sport beyond every committee in order to just keep things afloat. Um, and then from a job perspective, I've been working since I had my driving permit. Um, cause I, you know, just grew up knowing that if you wanted something, you'd have to earn it. And my parents are big, you know, a big proponent of that. And my entire family, uh, has been working at a young age. My parents are, uh, small business owners, and um, my mom worked for the state of Illinois for 30 plus years. So I saw a lot of work, a lot of multitasking early on. And so it's kind of just in my blood and behaviorally, just what I what I knew I needed to do to, to make it up. Right. Midwest values. I think that's probably a better better word than a groundedness, which may or may not be a, may or may not be a word. And then going back to your sort of career journey, you were involved early on just as the iPhone was a thing working for AT&T. And it's hard to imagine those days today. The iPhone goes back to, I think, 2006. I think you started with AT&T a little after that. But talk about those early days and, uh, you know, a very different era uh, then from where we are right now. Now we can't imagine life without it, but... At that point, everything was new. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting looking back, a, a key thread throughout my entire career is technology. And um, part of it is from deprivation. I grew up not having cable until I was in high school. And so there's always that like shiny star of more entertainment and it was always driven by the need to have more technology and and we you know had dial-up internet uh, also right at the beginning of, of my high school too. So always desired it. Um, and then in college, I got an opportunity to, I think that my technical title was um, iPhone product pro in Madison, Wisconsin. And I was the one in the district that essentially had to train on what the iPhone was, what the capabilities were. And then I worked at the store. It started off as a summer gig. It expanded brought more broadly to demo the iPhone to people that came in. And the day that it launched, it was um, the highest grossing sales, no, no, no surprise there uh, for uh, for that region. But uh, there was just constant education and the, this desire to advance technology. And and now thinking, I don't even know what life was like before that. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it definitely propelled us into where we're at today. The iPhone launch for sure. Well, it's all happened so quickly. I mean, now you know, T's help blazing the trail in the CTV space. Uh, but this stuff is all pretty new, you know, and the amount of change, I mean, when we started advertising in 2004, you know, there was no Facebook. Facebook was only on the Harvard campus. You know, we were still a few years away from the iPhone. We were three years away from YouTube, you know, and almost none of the things that we're talking about now and 
some of which you and I will talk about over the course of our conversation today in that advanced, connected, you know, TV space, none of those subjects even existed. Yeah, it's so true. You know, so Facebook launched my freshman year of college. And I remember my first, my second job in my career, I worked for a company called In Demand, uh, which essentially is owned at the time of the four top cable providers. And and we launched things like Movies on Demand, Pay-Per-View. Um, and also I Howard Stern on Demand was a huge revenue driver is when he went off of E and went on a paid model. And I was in charge of launching his Facebook for Business channel. And that was you know pivotal for multiple reasons. But you think about the use of technology and how it helps evolve the different platforms beyond just mainstream entertainment. Um, it's kind of, you know, TV was always feeding technology and, and, the, and, and for things to evolve. And now the internet is what's feeding TV, which is how, you know, connected TV and streaming is ultimately the reason why it's been able to grow exponentially in the last decade plus, uh, is because of how quickly we've been able to evolve because of the internet. Amazing. And as we start to build that Natalie narrative, you can really see how well your experience you know, has led you to that. Let's talk about A&E, because that was a big part of what you did also. Yes, oh, my time at A&E is, uh, I treasure it deeply, because I, I actually had two stints there. I started off my first job, when I moved my first formal career job, I should say, um, when I moved to New York, it was at Lifetime Networks pre-acquisition. And I worked in their uh, affiliate marketing team and it was pre-acquisition and they were making some changes. And ultimately it was right at the beginning of On Demand. It was a concept, but I remember because I worked closely on the affiliate spot tagging where things were still on the beta tapes that you had to ship out to each of the Comcast affiliates in Chicago to Dallas to Miami. And that was one of my core functions um, that I needed to operationalize. And then I went to in-demand for a stint and then A&E came calling and I maintained uh, my my time within the distribution marketing team. And uh, one of the projects that I felt like also propelled me into you know, more of advanced TV world is is the launch of the on-demand channel. So the TV everywhere channels, if you will, as well, um, where they were adding in, you know, the bifurcation of linear streaming and the ratings were going down. They needed to find a way to capture that audience in in non-live environment. And so launching both on-demand at scale and then also TV everywhere allowed the viewership to continue to grow, sustain, and then eventually grow as internet and connectivity continue to grow from a consumer perspective. Um, and that's ultimately my time there was pivotal because I felt like I learned a lot. And being on the distribution side, you have an understanding of how, how these deals are negotiated and what's needed. And my job was to fulfill the marketing capabilities and marketing fulfillment once those deals were done. But what was interesting of just the economics behind it of of why the cable bill is raised every year, <laughs> like understanding the concept behind that. Um, but one re one thing that I really enjoyed as well, which propelled me into my next role, um, was the the local ad sales business, which was I, I would say probably one of the most foundational 
elements within a distribution deal. And I worked really closely. I was on the Comcast account, worked really closely with the Comcast corporate team on being able to monetize both linear and non-linear impressions um, by building a model that didn't really exist because we still needed to show that it was bringing media value, which was ultimately ultimately my job, um, but building a, a, a model that could find value not only for A&E, but also for Comcast. And that's where I kind of understood my first step into advertising, uh, which ultimately propelled me to my role at Dish Media Sales, um, which was my next step after A&E. And I was there for several years as head of ad sales marketing. Uh, Dish Media uh, was not only just Dish as a satellite company, but also Sling TV, which was the first virtual MVPD that launched in the industry. I joined Dish uh, in March and Sling launched in the January, like three, two months before that from a consumer standpoint. And we had less than six months to monetize it from an advertising point. So I was part of the core team uh, that helped monetize and build the, the messaging strategy in the, in the advertising community um, to, to stand up that, that business. And so it was definitely an eye-opening experience. And I learned a lot more about the technical side of things, which now I know is so important as a marketer because it's our job to know it all. And it's our job to, to synthesize it and have it make sense for anybody. And um, so I learned a lot in that experience. And uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely pivotal. And you also sort of broadened your horizon, if you will, doing a rebrand. Yes. Yeah. So before that, and, and ultimately from a dish standpoint, they at the time, them and DirecTV, and they still are the main satellite providers, uh, but they're known as kind of like the spots and dots kind of cluster buying model and um, addressable media. So addressable one-to-one -one targeting um, was, was making headway, but wasn't quite scaling from a revenue perspective. And so we needed to go beyond like just a seller mentality and more of like a thought leader technical platform, especially as we're combining Sling as well. So we went under um, a rebrand and, you know, did our first really full B2B marketing campaign in my, within my first year of joining as well. So Let's digress for a second. My house is a Roku house. I know you had some time at Roku also. And uh, we are using to get our regular TV, the DirecTV stream product, which has nothing to do with DirecTV because I wanted the Yankees. They're the only ones that have the Yes Network in New York. How much of what we're doing today in 2023 is really new and how much of it is stuff that's really been around for a while. From a consumer standpoint, things are starting to feel and look pretty familiar, right? If, if you're thinking about the cable bundling, the price, the the combination of 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 what you're paying for, especially if you're still investing or still paying for cable or satellite and you have streaming as part of your, you know, entertainment strategy, if you will, as a consumer, uh, it, we're, we're, we're regressing a bit from a consumer standpoint, in my opinion, mainly because of the number of options that are available. It's a bit 
confusing and it's harder to track as well as a consumer, like unless you're meticulous and able to put it all on one credit card. So you see what you're paying a month. Um, and even when you do that, it's pretty scary because nine times out of 10, you may be paying more than what you were, you know, five, six, seven years ago when you were just in cable and satellite. Um, so I think that's an interesting piece. And, and honestly, one of the reasons I went to Roku coming out of Dish was, I mean, they were definitely on to something. They were ahead of the game when it came to their their deal negotiations that they that they were doing with Dish and, and Sling TV. And they were just much more savvy uh, from a technical perspective. And so um, when I were having conversation with them, it was, it was pre-IPO and it was very clear that they were just at the tipping point to explode because their uniqueness of their approach, but then also the simplicity of their platform where I could give my grandfather who's 80, 80 plus years old at the time, give him a Roku and he can figure it out in, in, in less than a day, they're onto something for that. And that's honestly something that's been missing for our entire industry. Um, and so moving over to Roku, it was, I think part of their mission was to make entertainment simple again and to consolidate and really give that democratize the access to content and and just make the experience more seamless. And they were ahead of their game as it relates to a lot of the apps, you know, I mean, Netflix and Hulu and then Sling TV, which was the first cable alternative. Um, but many of the entertainment uh, streaming apps that we see today weren't at scale and weren't really provided. Um, so, it, you know, Roku had a unique opportunity to build more brand awareness and, and consumer usage through the fact that it was a one-time price and you weren't having to pay month over month increment, incrementally for, for your cable bill by having a Roku. So I think that was the first step in. And then the usage was through the roof because it's so easy to, to, to light it up, connect it to your Wi-Fi and, and, and stream away. So I definitely think they were ahead of the curve uh, from a consumer perspective. Yeah, and that whole business, the deal they did with TCL to put it on all those TVs. Yeah. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And they were, again, I think ahead of the game beyond just the pucks and dongles. That was the vast majority of their distribution. And so getting in to become the brains behind the beauty of, of flat screens TV and, and how they were able to scale beyond TCL in such a short amount of time um, really allowed them to gain scale and usage, you know, obviously exponentially uh, and be able to maintain it even now is, is pretty amazing. And you're starting to rise up the ladder and straddling both B2B and B2C as you did at Tubi. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, speak about, you know, democratizing content. That is an access to it. I mean, that's what Tubi is all about. Tubi is a free ad-supported streaming service. And I loved it because of how a how accessible it was and how it was content for all. Their, their library was huge. They appealed to a mass audience. And their biggest issue from a marketing perspective is that no one knew about it. <laughs> you know, no, they had really great distribution deals with the likes of Roku and Amazon, and they had great placement on device. But, you know, someone choosing to watch an app like a Netflix or a Hulu, they need they need a reason to. They need to understand. They need that awareness in order to drive the comprehension and then and then usage. And so, um, talking with the 2B team early on, 
you know, they had, they had two tasks, right? They needed to build higher awareness within their um, app. And then they needed to drive monetization into that app in order for them to buy new content and build that virtuous cycle that, that Tubi is all about. So it was, you know, talk about stars aligning because I, I joined right before the pandemic and uh, about three, three or about a month before the acquisition with Fox closed. And so being acquired by Fox for Tubi was an instant uh, propeller in, into into growth and access. I mean, we went from, uh, you know, and even our marketing budgets weren't that big to begin with, but we had the platform that is Fox, which is a major broadcaster and access to the biggest, you know, from the biggest headlines and news to the biggest plays within sports, we had access to that entire audience to tell people about Tubi. And so we really leveraged our partnership with Fox to propel and to elevate the Tubi brand. And we saw access exponential growth, even within the first year. And obviously a big piece of that is, is the pandemic, right? People, more people are streaming and also the economic concerns that people are having with the bills and how they're rising Tubi is a great alternative when you're looking to supplement entertainment, not having to pay for it. So um, they definitely, we saw some early traction early on, continue to sustain and grow. And ultimately as our awareness built within the consumer landscapes, it, it continued to grow within the advertising landscape too. I mean, brands and buyers are consumers as well. Majority of America is watching, um, you know, at NFL on Sundays. And so being able to see Tubi helps with that comprehension and consideration to buy as a, as a brand as well. So it was really a beautiful um, cycle that we built during my time there. Natalie, I want to dig in deep to what's happening now at Teed, so much exciting stuff. But before we, we go there, it occurs to me, you've worked for so many great companies, some old line companies like Viacom and Comedy Central, of course, AT&T, A&E, and some new companies that are, you know, children of the digital age, if you will, at Roku and, and Tubi in particular. I imagine along that journey, there have been some great minds that have really helped you, some people who you hold in particularly high regard. Who comes to mind when you reflect back on, you know, sort of the first 30, 40% or so of your career? Oh, man. I, I mean, for me, it was less I mean, great minds and great managers, great mentors, I, I would put into that. Um, for me, I I was fortunate to have some really key leadership that was always pushing me to think outside of the box and to go beyond what my current, at the time, role existed. And, and that's where I found the insights and learning to help me, you know, figure out what, what more is out there. Uh, for me, it was, uh, at a and &E, I had a great friend. Her name was, uh, Jen Bolvanowski. She was, we traveled all over and she was always encouraging and she was on the sales side. So she was doing the deals and I was, you know, helping to fulfill them. And she was always pushing me to go further than what, um, than, than what my current boundaries were. So I always really appreciated that. And, and, and ultimately that's what, what led me to dish and, um, at dish, there are several really strong mentors that, um, that help lift me up in a very, you know, for, for a company that historically is a bit more conservative and, and specifically within dish media itself at the time really lacked diversity within the leadership team. And I was one of the only female 
female leaders within um, the leadership team for some time. And I had some really strong male counterparts that helped help me navigate that and help support me. And um, Adam Gaynor being one of them, Brian Norris be another one, both of which are still in the connected TV and, and, and landscape. And I always appreciate that. Um, and then at Roku, Scott Rosenberg, who hired me, he's just a, a very smart man, very always thinking three steps ahead. And so you're always going to learn something from him. And you know, he was one one leader where I had more one on ones where I was listening more than I was talking just to help absorb the ethos that he he extracted. Um, and then at at Tubi, I had several strong leaders as well um, and, and, and partners, too. I mean, uh, on the advertising side, Marianne Gambelli, who's president of, of advertising, she was a uh, key partner and, and mentor of mine. Um, it's funny, I worked there essentially virtual the main time, and I did quite a bit of traveling to, to see the team out west, too. Um, and she, among others, were just really pivotal in helping me shape my perspective and make sure that my thoughts and ideas were part of the conversation to help move the business forward. So there's a much longer list, but top of mind on the spot, those are the ones that come to mind. Great, 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 great answer. So can we talk about your journey to Teeds and to a global role? It's been just under a year, but give us... Uh, Tell us how you got there. Yeah. So what I loved about Teeds, uh, well, the people are what really sold me in. And this concept, which is honestly a theme over my last few roles, where what I find that I'm attracted to are companies that are in this kind of late age startup mode that are on the cusp of just exploding and 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 greatness and i think teeds though has been around for more than a decade and is widely known within the broader global community we're truly you know scratching the surface on the potential in in the us and so ending that historically the company has been a very global first um, mindset that we've pivoted. Um, it, they've pivoted and then I have pivoted such since I started to be more US centric first. And, and that's where I knew from day one that I'd be able to provide value, especially as the platform expands into omni-channel and adding in CTV and, and my experience in the last decade of synthesizing, selling and, and continuing to, to grow that line of business. Um, to me, that was very clear that I could provide value right away. The global component is super unique and, and relatively new to me. I'm used to working at organizations that are, again, U.S. first and then expand into different regions. And this is essentially the opposite, though TEAS has been in the U.S. for years. Um, there's, you know, we continue to grow awareness and efficacy on on how we're growing the business here. Um, but there are so many learnings that already exist uh, within, especially in the, in the European market that I find really fascinating. And that's to me is my stretch of where am I going to continue to expand my mind and grow and gain perspective from the global stage within the advertising um, industry. And, and so that's what led me to, to TEADS and um, um, and the potential that I truly feel like we're just getting started and we've really hit our stride. And as we go into this next 
chapter into omni-channel and be able to expand um, on the purity of the platform and to have it be more business-led, business outcome-led for brands and for our publishers that we partner with, um, you know, sky's the limit of how how great we could grow. And you've part of a, a, a really a new leadership team in many respects, certainly here in North America with yourself joining, with Monique being elevated. That's got to give, I would think, the U.S. North American operation sort of new focus, new leadership, new energy. Yeah, absolutely. Monique is a powerhouse, and I am so thankful to get to partner with her every day. And you know, she she joined as CRO um, in a little over a year ago, uh, and is elevating her to president was the you know was such an amazing move, but also just a testament to how quickly she was able to shape the strategy and the vision for, for us and now North America. And she really started with a people first approach on making sure that how we were, how we were joining as a team was rooted in the culture that we have and kind of in many ways kind of went back to basics and making sure that we had the right foundation. So then to allow us to grow and then continue to scale. And, um, she's, you know, she's a great, great partner to have. And, and Jeremy Arditi as well, who is co-CEO, he's now been, um, co-CEO for, for over a year as well. And he's been pivotal. He's been with Teeds for, for more than a decade prior to that as chief commercial, um, commercial officer. And so with their leadership and guidance, their experience, within TEADS, you know, again, we're, we're just getting started. So the momentum's being built and um, we, you know, there's a lot of exciting things to come for sure. That's, that's like a TEADS 2.0 here in North America in particular. Let's talk about that evolution, which we touched on earlier into Omnichannel and TEAD really roaring into the connected TV space. So I'd love to talk about you know, what you see there now for Teeds and for your clients and partners. Absolutely. So, I mean, Teeds historically has been a powerhouse in video advertising for years. And as, you know, as the inventor of, of Outstream, their, their focus on quality media, quality content, quality environments is, is just part of the roots of what Teeds, um, Teeds is all about. And so when adding CTV to the mix, especially when you think about it in this digital world where, yes, it's complex, but also because of the beauty of the internet and the way that digital operates, adding CTV is, is a, a way to seamlessly integrate the power of video and create more access within the same platform that brands are already buying into. So really it's a value add. Obviously Teeds as a business, this is a huge net new business area that we can tap into, but ultimately the, the goal and the why we're doing it is to give access to, to brands across the same foundation and the, uh, that, that we've always delivered of premium quality um, environments and, and content, but to do that across every screen in a video format, that is ultimately creating more value. And so, um, again, we are just under a year from when we first started testing and we've been growing exponentially in the U.S. And I think um, being, you know, taking the same approach that we took on Outstream on establishing brand outcomes and more upper funnel outcomes, which is naturally a delivered uh, that 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 TV provides, but making video more accountable downstream 
no pun intended, down the funnel, <laughs> mid funnel, lower funnel is, is really the direction we're going in. So then, you know, someone, a brand can come to Teeds to reach an incremental audience across every screen and be able to deliver on outcomes up and down the, the funnel as well. So that's ultimately how we're shaping and then doing it into a platform um, that is that is premium, that's transparent, and ultimately the most efficient route to go. Fantastic. Let's talk about a specific example. Uh, wasn't there a, a partnership that you guys did with Dentsu and with the good people at the Kraft Heinz company? Yeah. So that was around attention media. So attention is, I would say, I mean, in the grand scheme of the industry, a, a newer metric that has grown exponentially in a share of voice of what, what's being talked about probably in the last five years or so. And essentially, uh, attention is an alternative metric to viewability on understanding the value of the impression being served within an advertising unit. And ultimately at Teeds and many other or, um, you know, such as Dentsu and other organizations look at attention as a more premium way to evaluate um, is, is that ad being not only seen, but is it being understood? And if you think about that, you look at, you know, whether or not someone is looking at you or paying attention to what you're saying. It's the same difference where I can view an ad, but am I going to, am I paying attention to it? And so being able to measure that is really, really important. Obviously it's, it's a, a lot more than just a, pro a proxy metric that viewability has served in the industry for years. And it really brings you beyond that. And ultimately attention can help higher attention can deliver better outcomes. And so being able to get that metric right uh, is, is what we're working on and being able to tie it to the outcome is the holy grail of what we're building. Absolutely fascinating. That's such an interesting area and so fast moving. One of the other areas where I think Teeds is really differentiating itself is focusing on sustainability. And uh, I know you have a number of initiatives around there around reduction of carbon footprint, which people don't think of. You're not, you know, a coal mining company in West Virginia, you know, but uh, uh, nevertheless, all of us are contributing to the challenges we're having on our planet. Talk about the prioritization of sustainability and uh, Impact Plus and some of the other things that you're doing there globally to tackle that problem. Yeah, so just going back to certain areas that Teeds is ahead of the game on because it's had a global first approach. I think sustainability is is one great example of that. When you look at the world as a whole, Europe um, has always been focused and leaned in on sustainability and um, you know putting in measures that are mandated at a government level um, to help mitigate the 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 effects we're having on in 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 the world and i think when you look at the big picture digital advertising is you know not the not the largest contributor to carbon footprint um emissions and but that being said 
advertising is a is a is a, a, the essential is the only channel that you that brands have to advocate their brand to advocate their message and many brands you know vast majority of the blue of of the blueprint brands have sustainability targets that they're now focused on and they have messages so for them to have platforms where they can help share that message spread the word create the good there's really two aspects to sustainability when it comes to that so creating a platform like Teeds that helps ensure that that message, that sustainable message is, is carried out and effective and optimized is one way that we're helping brands, enabling brands um, to be more sustainable and help hit their goals. And then the other is measuring uh, carbon emissions. So understanding the footprint of that campaign that ran through ran through the Teeds platform. And that's what we do uh, in partnership with Impact Plus. And so we started it. Um, we launched a deal with them last year, and we've uh, looked at past campaigns to understand the impact. And so the goal is to create benchmarks and to help understand so we can pre-plan and help optimize before a campaign even launches. And then second piece is optimizing in real time once the campaign has um, has gone live. And then on the back end, understand the reporting and the full, um, you know, the full impact of that. So I think ultimately TEADS is an enabler of change, enabler of helping to improve sustainable practices. And that's really where we're starting. And so as we go into this next year, I think last year um, is is been really more from leadership, uh, for lack of a better word, not soapbox, but thought leadership forum, where there's so many options out there, there's so much intent, but this year is all about action. How are platforms like Teeds helping to enable brands to really put their, their intent into best practices. And so that's really where our focus is, is going into. And I'd say, you know, Europe is definitely ahead of the game when you look at the global mindset. And I would say US, it's becoming more and more essential um, to, to plans, to considerations. And this is happening at an agency level and a brand level as well. Great stuff. So you're there, give or take now, getting not, not quite a year anniversary, but moving in that direction. Give us a sense as to your year ahead. You know, let's call it year two uh, in general terms. What's number one, two, or three on your list of priorities as global CMO? Oh, well, number one is fostering a kick-ass team to help us move move forward and, and to expand globally. So it's really starting internally to make sure that my team is enabled and empowered. Um, and then the second piece is to ensure that we have the right focus of where the business is growing, and that is by and large CTV. CTV has uh, has been a priority in the U.S. and will continue to expand globally as we look at the year ahead. So, from a marketing perspective, it's all about building and evangelizing uh, CTV, and and some of that is in the education form because many markets um, across the globe, it's still a pretty nascent concept. U.S. is by far, obviously, the most advanced in it. So, taking some of the 101 and 201 practices that we've built and expanding that globally. Um, and then three is, is really 
tying all of it to outcomes and making sure that brands are feeling the value, seeing the value of partnering with Teeds. And that comes to building a platform that allows us to show the work that's being done and the outcomes that come from it. So those are kind of the, the three main things that are top of mind for me. And when we connect a year from now, hopefully sooner, uh, I'll be able to, to share some exciting updates on those. Well, I'd love to do this again in a year. It's been a delight uh, to chat with you. We're big fans of what you're doing at Teeds. I know we've had a chance to work, you know, with many of the companies that were uh, part of your journey getting to Teeds and, uh, and now get the chance to connect with you here. So thank you so much for doing this. This was an absolute joy. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. There's a better way to make high-quality video ads. You know, like the ones that drive performance on every platform across the internet? QuickFrame by Mountain has hacked the video production process to deliver a faster, more efficient way to produce content. Through a global network of creators hungry to bring your brand's vision to life, you'll be able to iterate and improve upon your campaigns mid-flight, creating a feedback loop of testing and learning so you can scale your business and reach new audiences. Visit QuickFrame.com to learn more.